Keyboard Kimura AV Network is presented by OneBone. Fall is here, and OneBone has you covered when it comes to looking fresh as the temperatures start to cool. From numerous short sleeve styles and cuts, to long sleeve selections, hoodie options, the Essential Bomber, and the Trench Hoodie, OneBone has styles, colors, and sizes to meet all your needs this fall. As a supporter of the Keyboard Kimura AV Network, use promo code ESK10 at checkout. That's my initials, ESK, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Based in Montreal, everything is Canadian made, but ships all over the world. So check out the website, onebone.com, or download the app and join the OneBone family today. OneBone, big and all. Sort of, well, it's not really the next day takeaways because we don't have anything from yesterday to really discuss the takeaways from, but it's Sunday. The overlay looks great. It's got his name there. I'm joined by Ian O'Neill again, and it just felt like we should use it. Harry went to all the work to make these lovely backgrounds and banners, so we got to roll them out. Io, thank you for showing up on another Sunday morning. I appreciate you, my friend. How are you doing? I am doing great. It's always a pleasure to be on two weeks in a row. Uh, I think, you know, we, we called Harry the, the the Welsh wizard at times. We could call him the California kid after his trip away, but he'll be back in the hot seat again with you next week. I'm looking forward to his return. I'm sure you are as well. But no, it's great to be here. I got a beautiful Vietnamese takeaway last night. It was excellent. I give it a, a nine out of ten. So look, at that's our takeaway from yesterday. So at least we got something covered about what happened over the weekend. Maybe not any MMA action, but uh, we have plenty to talk about over over the coming months, which uh, which what we're doing. Well, I'm taking your job now. I'm telling everybody why we're here. <laughs> May not be any MMA takeaways, but a good takeaway is always a good way to, to spend an evening. As you mentioned there, we're not really doing you know what happened very recently. We're going to start looking ahead. And I mentioned this on Friday when I went through and did my 100 plus memorable moments from so far this year. Uh, sorry to Tiffany Shriver for me speeding through them. Got your feedback. I appreciate them. I will definitely take it into consideration next time and not try to speed read 109 cool things that happened and break them down a little better for everybody. But what I wanted to do, as I mentioned on that show on Friday, I put out a piece for OSDB Sports talking about the next two months and how we have really kind of a, an underrated slate, I feel. Like UFC 279 hasn't gotten a lot of buzz. UFC Paris hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of buzz. The, the events in September themselves and really most of October haven't necessarily generated a whole lot of conversation, save for UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, which is absolutely loaded. But I went through and because I'm a dork, I put these things into spreadsheets and then looked at the spreadsheet and was like, Jesus, this is... This is ultimately, for eight weeks, a pretty good slate where we could have a whole lot of different things decided. 
clear pictures in a bunch of divisions. And so I wanted to get you to jump on and we'll just sort of go through the next two months worth of cards, starting with UFC Paris, which takes place next weekend at Acor Arena. Again, another one of those shows that hasn't necessarily gotten that much buzz, that much hype. There's a few fights on there that, you know, kind of really do fly under the radar. But we've got a heavyweight fight in the main event between Cyril Gan and, and Tai Tuivasa that absolutely carries divisional significance and championship ramifications. Cyril Gan is coming off his fight in January with Francis Ngannou, where he entered as the interim champion. Didn't get the job done, but still very much in the mix. And Tai Tuivasa has just been on an absolute roll since he came back, you know, two years ago now. Enters off the knockout win over Derek Lewis. He's won five straight overall. And, and you would have to think if he goes out and has a great performance against Ciro Gan, he might be that sort of fourth man in the three-man field right now between Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic, and John Jones. So a pivotal main event next weekend. It absolutely is. And it's something, that the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to in that main event between Gan and Tuivasa is... What are we going to see from Cyril Gann? Because this is like the next chapter in his career after that disappointing defeat to Francis Ngannou, where we saw a couple of chinks in his armor for the very first time inside the octagon. Um, now we're at a stage where, you know, he's going to be coming back. He's going to be looking to kind of stake his claim and, uh, and to maintain his position in the top of the heavyweight division. And he's coming in against the really good informed fighter in Tai Tuivasa, who has been on the best of his career so far and has had a real good resurgence in his own right. Um, you know, coming in here on a five-fight win streak and and a really good win against Derek Lewis in his last fight. So um for Tuivasa, it's his time to prove as well that he can hang with the guys at the top of the division, you know. He took out Derek Lewis, a very impressive performance in that. And um, he's going to have his hands full with Siren Gans, especially on the feet. And that's where he seems to do most of his damage because we've seen Cyril Gan and how elusive he can be on the feet. So uh, as opposed to like a stylistic matchup here, you would think that it's Cyril Gans. But um, you can never count out Tai Tuivasa. I'm not going to count him out here. I just don't think I want to count out anybody after what happened last weekend, to be truly honest. And it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of changes that Cyril Gann has made. I'm not too quite sure that we will see him tested in all avenues in this fight. Like I said, it's more so a stylistic matchup that suits Cyril Gann because it will likely play out on the feet. But uh, that being said, he's going to have that fresh hunger, that fresh motivation to you know, get, kind of get that loss to Francis Ngannou out of, uh, out of his mind, out of everybody else's mind and, and put on a good performance in his home country too. Yeah, it's the first time he's really had to prove something where we've got sort of negative questions, right? Obviously, every time you step into the octagon, you have to prove something. We've had these tests throughout his career. Can he beat a guy like Derek Lewis? Can he beat some of the guys that he beat on the way up? But now it's the first one of, okay, how do you respond from that? That's your first professional loss. You kind of got caught off guard, it seems like, by the wrestling and weren't necessarily prepared. Because for for as good as, as impressive as it was that Francis Ngannou was able to turn to wrestling and control the wrestling, it wasn't like, dominant Daniel Cormier in there wrestling you 
it was Francis Ngannou wrestling you and you had no answers. And so now we've got some questions about what can you do and what, what adjustments have you make made? What does the rebound look like? What does the return look like? Can you show that, yep, that was a blip. And so far, just about everybody's lost to Francis. And so these things happen. And so, as you said, there's also the pressure of being in Paris, being the first main event in the UFC in, in that country. And so Tai Tuivas is coming in there to me, playing a little bit with house money. Like this is just a free roll for Ty of, I can go out there and beat this guy in his hometown, get another win and just punch my ticket. None of the, none of the weights on me, none of the pressures on me in this one. I'm supposed to be the fun loving guy that drinks chewies and has a laugh and isn't, isn't expected to be a contender. This is a guy that's already had a belt. So let me just come in here and, and freewheel and see what happens. And I can't wait to see it. I mean, we'll talk about it this week. We'll talk about this whole card later this week. I'm sure on the severe MMA preview show, but a very interesting main event and a very interesting co-main event, Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori, sort of the silver medal fight in the middleweight division. Rob fought Israel Adesanya earlier this year, made some adjustments, was closer, but still caught a loss. Marvin Vittori coming off his impromptu light heavyweight fight with, with Paulo Costa last year. I'm sort of torn on these guys because as much as I appreciate, especially what Robert Whitaker does, middleweight is just still that division where it's like, and, and Shawnee jokes about it all the time, Sean Sheehan. It's just like, what are we, what are we fighting for here? What, what's at stake here? What's on the line? Because neither of these guys is getting a shot at, at Israel Adesanya after this one, because they've both lost to him twice. And the second loss came relatively recently. So it's an interesting fight. I just don't know what's at stake. Do you? I'm thinking we should be looking like taking a track from maybe the WWE introducing an intercontinental championship here or something to kind of spice things up. Because I'm glad you said that because it's my way of thinking as well, Spencer. It's like the shine kind of goes off of this fight because, you know, there is no title implications here. Both of guys have been beaten by Israel Adesanya twice. Um, for me, if I'm looking at this, it's does Robert Whitaker still have that fire in his belly? to get back there to get to secure that title shot because you know a guy in his position is probably going to have to go unfortunately for him on another three fight maybe four fight win streak there to kind of secure that title shot again because you know even though the second fight with Izzy was a little bit closer but I don't think that there's that intrigue to see that fight again and that's why the UFC are trying to introduce guys like Luke Rockhold and 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 the greater hope I guess with Luke Rockhold going in to fight Costa was that maybe he could get the win and maybe we would have a new challenger in the middleweight division because I think that's what the middleweight division needs right now and it's what Israel Adesanya needs as well. But I don't think we're going to find that in the Whitaker-Fatori fight. For me, does Whitaker still have that fire to get that uh, win against Fatori? Because if he's not fully firing here, Marvin Fatori will beat him. Uh, Fatori right. is a good fighter. I think Robert Whitaker at 100% and Fatori at number uh, 100%. I think Whitaker takes that fight all day long based on skills. Um, but it's about that mental side of things for me. Uh, you know, that disappointment of losing that second shot. Do you have the hunger to get back up there and secure another shot as well against the guy you've been beaten by twice? You know, and that, and 
going in against a guy that you've been beaten by twice already has its own kind of mental implications as well. So this is, while some of the intrigue or, or the majority of the intrigue is gone, there's still something here that we should be yeah. looking towards. Um, and, you know, for Vittori, it's going in there and beating an elite level guy because just because he's number two doesn't mean he's not elite level. He lost to a very good fighter and Izzy Adesanya did Robert Whitaker. And he's been kind of the gatekeeper for the middleweight division probably unwantingly for the last couple of years as as the next best there is out there. Yeah, we talk about the middleweight division and I don't want to step on the toes of the preview show that we will do on, we will record on Wednesday, it will come out on Thursday. So I want everybody to still wait around to listen to that as we go through the whole card. But as we're talking about the middleweight division, one fight on this card that sort of, to me, has a little bit of, of tie-in to what we're talking about is, and I believe it's going to be the opener, Nasruddin Imavov against Joaquin Buckley. Imavov feels like a guy that has that potential to continue climbing the ranks. He's on a two-fight winning streak, second-round stoppages over Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian. Buckley has quietly put together three straight wins in a row since his loss at the start of last year. He's won five of his last six. He has the Impakasangane highlight that will play forever and forever be his calling card. This feels like one of those ones that's a little further down the card, a little bit under the radar. I think some of the buzz that Imavov had coming off the win over Edmund Shabazian has dissipated just because of time. And this feels like an opportunity for him, specifically him, in France where he trains, in Paris where he trains, to go out and maybe have a performance that makes people go, hey, this is this might be a guy we need to start paying attention to at middleweight because... 26 years old, good long, good long striker in terms of using his length, in terms of using his reach, has shown some upside. If he goes out and puts it on Joaquin Buckley, then maybe we get a little, a little something for the middleweight division to get excited about. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it is really great fight. I think you know what Amov has been doing and and what he did. He had a really good win against Edmund Shabazian in his last fight where he might not have gotten the amount of credit that he should because, you know, Shabazian is on a bit of a losing streak right now, but right. he came in and he performed in that fight too. And Imamov took him out of there relatively easy. And he's coming in against the kind of another quote-unquote up-and-comer in Joaquin Buckley right now who's on, like you said, a three-fight win streak, is coming into this fight really confident and and can really stake a claim in 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 the top ten of the of the middleweight division. Um, whoever gets the win out of this fight. So, um, I think, you know, I overall from what I'm seeing, I'm probably leaning towards Imamov. But, you know, Joaquin Buckley does have that knockout power. Right. Um, he can knock anybody's lights out at any given moment with any kind of attack too. So, um, this is a kind of an interesting fight. I think to kind of see who's the new breed in the middleweight division. don't think any of these guys are going to be going in and ruffling too much feathers in the top five just yet, but it's a good kind of a testing fight or litmus test for both of these guys and a good stylistic matchup too. Um, I think we may see Joaquin's Buckley's takedown defense tested out quite a lot right. here against Imamov. be interesting to see how he does that, with, and it's a good stylistic matchup. There are other fights on the card, other athletes on the card that I'm sure we could talk about. But again, I don't want to step on the toes of the preview show. We'll save some of that for later and move forward to UFC 279. 
which oddly enough, I don't really want to talk about the main event outside of the fact that I think if Hamza Chimaev wins, he sort of just cements his place. The road got a little longer, as Daniel Cormier said at the end of UFC 278, because Leon Edwards knocked out Kamaru Usman and they have to do that a third time now. There's no way to not. But if he goes out and dominates Nathan Diaz the way that he has dominated his first bunch of opponents and gets a win, even if it's similar to the win over Gilbert Burns, I'm pretty sure he cements himself as next in line and spends whatever it needs to be, the first half of 2023, just waiting, just biding his time. Is that sort of how you would would see that fight as well, just in terms of the, the title picture right now? Yes. Um I feel it's the same as what I'm going to say again is that I don't want to count Diaz <laughs> out because of right. what happened. Like, oh, what listen, hap- what listen, happened if, last if, yeah. if Nate Diaz goes out and just throws an absolute monkey wrench into this, I think Ariel talked about it on his show uh, on Wednesday with Chael Sonnen. And it was like, look, if Nathan Diaz does Nathan Diaz things, you go in the back when it's done and you say, great, you fucked us. We tried to <laughs> fuck you. You fucked us. Here's 20 mil, go fight Leon. And you do that next, right? Because you just you just show the highlight of him hitting him and giving him this one. And go, uh, and then uh, we just saw what happened last week. Oh, and so man. I understand. That's I don't it. want to count that, Nate out either. It's, it's only but. because of what happened last week. If, I mean, if, if, if that didn't happen last week, I'd be here. Oh, Shemayev is going to fucking Leon run through him. Leon has changed the world. <laughs> he has changed the world. But look at we're talking, you know, we have to think back of what Nate Diaz has done before. He likes to prove people wrong. Yeah. He he likes to come in as the underdog. But you know what? I do honestly feel he's he is fighting a different animal here in Hamzat Shemayev. From what we've seen so far inside the octagon, from the stories that come out of training with them, you know, we had Sean Strickland coming out um, and, and telling him to kind of calm down, slow down, and, and don't be sparring hard. And, and if that's Sean coming from Strickland Sean Strickland... somebody to calm down and not be sparring <laughs> so hard, you know that that guy is going in there like a wild bastard. Absolutely. And he's and it's that hunger there as well. You know, this is the guy who wants to prove it all and Hamza Shemai. If Nate Diaz has been there, he's done that. You know, he would like and he and maybe, you know, the whole Leon Edwards thing has given him that extra spark that he needs as well to go in there. Because like you said, if he comes in and he pulls off a win against Shemaev, you're damn damn near almost certain that you're going to get that title shot and, and the UFC would love to do that and it would be a good excuse for them to offer him a boatload of cash and, and another couple of fights on these UFC deals so look at it's an in it I think the whole Leon Edwards kind of scenario has made this fight a little bit more intriguing because we cannot and it's something that I've said to myself as well is that I need to stop being so dismissive of people's right. chances because it's mixed martial arts at the end of the day and anything can happen in there but um you know it, it could be a kind of a fight spencer where all the intrigue kind of leaves after one minute or two where we kind of just see the landscape of the fight and if shimaev is just coming in right. there and being dominating from the starting bell uh but you know what there's going to be lots of shit talk there's going to be lots of exciting build up to this one and um we'll enjoy it for what it is i guess and and we can break it down after it happens but well as we've said now leon edwards has changed changed the world and so no matter how it goes for those first x number of minutes we're all still going to be sitting there and i mean nate did it the last time out right we sat there for 24 minutes leon edwards beat the hell out of him and then Nate hit that shot and we all kind of sat up and got 
got on the edge of our seats and we're like, is this bastard going to pull this? I mean, I was there at UFC 196. Yeah, I started man. writing that, that Conor McGregor was putting on kind of fought a typical Conor McGregor pressure fight and got Nathan Diaz out of there. And then all of a sudden a left hand landed and it was like, delete yes yes indeed <laughs> copy all delete wait a minute let's see what's happening here so there's no counting anybody out but one of the things i wanted to talk about sort of in general as i said off the top of this is is the layout of some of these other divisions some of these other fights that are a little bit under the radar that maybe aren't getting the attention they deserve for what they carry and a perfect example to that of that to me on this card is the women's bantamweight fight between Irina Aldana and Macy Chasson. I understand that neither are great big names. I understand that neither feel like they are absolutely right there, maybe next in line in that division. I think most people, or at least I'll speak for myself, I look at Catlin Vieira as the number one contender that's in the division. I look at Valentina Shevchenko as the Anytime she wants it, she can come up and get it. But I also feel like if either of these women go out and have a tremendous performance, get a first round stoppage, get a really dominant win, then they're in that mix and they're in that conversation. And it may not be championship fight next, but it's probably number one contender next. And that feels like we sort of skim over some of these sometimes. Maybe it's fatigue that we've seen. Irina Aldana close and not get there, but it just feels to me like this is one of those fights, and there will be several others that we talk about along the way here, that has some has some importance and has some significance that maybe we don't really shine enough light on and get excited about enough. I know it's a couple of weeks away and there's other stuff to get excited about, but when we're assessing these cards and going, oh, well, this card isn't that, this is a top 10 matchup and a meaningful matchup at that. It certainly is. And I mean, it's it's a t- chance for both women to really kind of, you know, I think that Macy Shasson's coming in at, at rank number 10 in the division. Irina Aldana is number four. Um, so a bit like top 10 fight in the division and a chance for Macy Shasson to kind of scoot herself up into the top five if she was to pull off the win here. Both women coming off decent wins. I mean, Yanis Kuniskaya was, was defeated by Aldana in her last fight. Um and a first round stoppage as well. Look at Yanis Kuniskaya, I feel has fought better, but you know, you're going out there, you're getting first round stoppages. That's what starts the intrigue here. And, you know, Macy Chasson in her own right as well, a good split decision win over Norma Dumont. She'll probably want to be kind of, this is her biggest fight of her career against Elmina Aldana. So she'll want to be coming in here and she'll be firing it off cylinders to get get the job done here. So I feel... You know, this is a good opportunity. I'm, I, I'm, I would stray away from thinking that any of these women are within two or three fights of a title shot. I feel that they will have to maybe build up a bit of a run if you're looking at how the the division is is lining up right now. Uh, obviously, we're we're probably going to be looking at a Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes rematch. Um, we've got Ketlin Vieira up at the top of the division. We've got, we've got Holly Holm up there. But you know what? One of these women win here in Irene Aldana or Macy Chasson. You could be looking at a fight against Holly Holm. You could be looking at a fight against Ketlin Vieira, which could be a, a title eliminator. We just don't know. Uh, we don't know where Amanda Nunes is at, at in her career. Um, 
is she going to want to fight a 135 with the trilogy with Pena, maybe move up? That may create another kind of an opportunity for a new champion. It's hard to know what's going to happen here. We don't know where Nunes is out. I think Nunes as a champion is definitely, I would feel one foot out the door right now, whether she wants to admit it or not. Um, you know, she's she's going to have, a, they're talking about having another child herself and, and Nina Nunes. Um, you know, she seems to be kind of integrating into the, the, the mother role. And, you know, I think the true proven fight for her will be against Juliana Pena. Now, unless a certain Kayla Harrison wants to come over and, and that might, that might, uh, that might ruffle a few feathers. But for, for, her. for this one, it's it, for, for Irene Aldana, I think, um, you know, she's going to want to prove that she belongs in the top five for Macy Chasson. She has a chance to move in and take all, uh, take all that hard work that Aldana has been doing over the last couple of years. I mean, Aldana has, has, Lost to Holly Holm once. Uh, I think it's a loss, only loss in the last four fights. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, losing to Holly Holm is no uh, is no disappointing fight factor. Right. I mean, you tested yourself. She'll be wanting to go in there. That was a close fight, if I remember correctly. Even though that the unanimous decision was the the ultimate decision, but um, I mean. Look at it's like you said, anything can happen, injuries can happen. If you want to be up at the top of the division, you could get a last minute call up for an injury, you could you could look to replace um anyone for a title fight at any stage, to be honest. If you're on the card, you're training, you're in shape and you're at the top of the division, anything can happen. So um you need to get those wins up. That's what both women will be looking to do here. Uh build a little bit of a, a winning streak. Both have the chance to go t- to win two fights in a row set up a big fight for them next. There's no doubt about it. Whoever wins this Aldana and she has some fight is going to get a big, big fight. Yeah. And this itself is a big fight in its own right because of that. So we move forward. The next card in, in September takes place on September 17th at the UFC Apex headlined by Corey Sanhagen and Song, Song Yudong. Sort of the, the next fight in these collection of terrific bantamweight fights that we've had, right? We had, Marlon Vera and Dominic Cruz. We had Marab Wallersvili and, and Jose Aldo. Now we get Sanhagen and Sonia Yadong. We'll get into some other ones down the road. This card also has Tony Gravley and, and Javid Basharat in the bantamweight division. Also on this card, though, Giga Chikadze returns against Sadiq Youssef. Chidi and Jokowani looks for a third straight win this year over Gregory Rodriguez. Um, Aspen Ladd and, and Sarah McMahon, which, you know, to tie into what we were just talking about, with with Aldana and, and Chasson. Like the winner of that one, I understand that, you know, Aspen Lads had some hard times and kind of feels a little bit untrustworthy at this point in terms of weight, in terms of health, in terms of being able to just make it to the goddamn cage. If she goes out and smashes Sarah McMahon or vice versa, Sarah McMahon coming in off a good win over Carol Hosa, they're very much in the mix as well. And so Feels like another one of those cards. It will be coming. It will be one of those cards I label a hangover card coming in the aftermath of a pay-per-view where it's not necessarily a collection of the absolute biggest names top to bottom, but another one of those cards where I look at it because I'm a lunatic and go, I'll take all of the Pat Sabatini and Damon Jackson. I'll take all of the Tony Gravely and Javid Basharat. Let me see what Joe Pfeiffer, the, Joe, the Dana White, went crazy for after see, after week one of this season of the Contender Series. Give me all of that. Give me Tanner Boser backfighting and opening beer cans and monster cans with his one front tooth. Like, sign me up. 
I'm in. It's another one of those cards that just as I was laying it out was like, there's some fights on here that maybe don't have top end significance, but have just below that significance. And to me, those are fights that I want to pay attention to and I want to spotlight for people. So of sort of the the fights on this card or some of the ones I've mentioned, what are the ones that kind of jump out to you as definite pay attention to fights? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As a hangover card, quote unquote, you know, this is a pretty good one. This is the one where, you know, sometimes where you have when you have a hangover, you have to go and maybe have another glass of wine just to ease the pain a little bit. This is like that glass of wine that we're going to have. It's right. it's a pretty good card. It's, and I, it's the one where you're not that mad about the hangover. Exactly. It was a good night, gonna, so I'm okay. You're gonna bear the headache for a few hours until it goes away until you get rehydrated. But Tony Gravely and, and Javed Bashrat, you know, I've, I've had the chance to speak to Tony Gravely a couple of times in the past. A great guy and a really good fighter, too, who's coming off probably his most professed, uh, his best performance in the octagon. Um, and, you know, I feel he has fired up to kind of stake a claim in one of the best divisions in, in the UFC. And, you know what? He's. This t- this is a tough matchup for him, but it's a good stylistic match for him. I feel after his last performance, and whether it's because he's not outspoken or whether it's because he doesn't really call out anybody, you know, he he was hoping for a Chris Gutierrez. But unfortunately, when you're not that vocal, this these are the kind of fights you're going to be getting. He's coming in with great after a great win against Simon Oliveira by unanimous decision. Um, comfortable win and that, but Johnny Munoz Jr. He came in there and proved that he's got power and he can get has the ability to get fighters out of there. So your reward, I guess, for knocking somebody out in round one has been putting in there, be put in there with a really, really kind of explosive striker in Javis Basharat. I know Harry has talked him up and rightly so because Basharat is is just so dynamic on the feet can hurt guys, um, and you would feel that Tony Gravely is coming going to come in here thinking. Whether it is or not, we'll find out. But Tony Gravely, I would imagine, and I look forward to asking him this, if I do get the chance to speak to him ahead of this fight, do you think he'll probably be coming in here with confidence knowing that he's maybe a little bit more well-rounded than Basharat, a little bit more experienced inside the octagon? But um, it's really, really interesting fight to see. Maybe if Tony is feeling confidence after that knockout, he might try and test himself on defeat. But I would imagine... His um his best route to victory will be on the mat here. Um, As I yeah. throw Ian off, sending him a message. Yeah, yeah, I know. Look, I I've been noticing that now. Has it been bad? We're just a it video. Hasn't, it hasn't been too bad. It just hangs up. It literally, like I said. So, well, I just what the I just message gonna... I've sent to everybody. We'll let you behind the curtain. I've sent you yeah. a message that says the fourth wall here. So little, little order, video hiccups. In order to prove, get that wrong. I'm just going to pop out and pop in now. So excuse, excuse. So we'll say goodbye to Ian for a moment. I will look at this card. I agree with what he's saying, and as it goes, weird, but it'll come back. Trust me, he'll be back soon. Apologies, friends. There we go. I was back. We had a few minutes, a few seconds there of of me looking weird with with the overlay across my face. But yeah, this this feels like a weird. This feels like a. I think the point you made about you know Tony Gravely not necessarily calling a shot and being a as expressive as he can be. This is a perfect reminder to fighters of of why having a name in mind and why stepping out there after a good performance and a great performance against Johnny Munoz Jr. is important. 
Because if you don't, as you said, you get Javid Bashrat, who's undefeated, who looked great in his contender series win, who looked very good in a tough fight against Trevin Giles, who is a guy that has power the whole way through. I talked to Javid before this fight um, for a story that'll be up on UFC.com ahead of ahead of this fight. And he said, look, like Trevin Jones is one of those guys that I've watched enough of his fights that I know I can't go in there, even when I have him hurt, guns blazing, trying to chase him down because he clips dudes. That's when he's right. He's a wounded animal. And he's, that's when he's most dangerous. And so if you're Tony Gravely, I think this is the reminder of if I beat this dude, I need to step out and have a name in, in mind and speak that name and speak that fight into existence or else they're going to find another Javid Basharat yeah. for me to line up against. Like we've seen him, I think we've seen him at his most animated um, after that last win that he pulled off Tony Gravely. And he just needs to bring that little bit of animation onto the mic and just call his shot as well, because he's been going through a buzzsaw of guys in the 135 pound division. Um, he's kind of been fighting level of competition like Javid Basharat, undefeated guy, really kind of difficult, kind of a, dynamic striker difficult guy to take on um but yeah i think if he gets the win here call make call your shot man you gotta call top 15 level of guys out and 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 that's it it's do or die on the microphone it's a dog eat dog world now in that 135 pound division there's so many contenders there there's so many people looking to get into the top 10 and top 15 as well you've just kind of put yourself out on an island and one way to do that unfortunately whether rightfully or wrongfully you know, it's all part and part of the parcel. You know, your performances alone will get you so far, but you got to be calling your shots on the mic as well. Well, and you mentioned how difficult it is and, and how stacked this division is. The main event is a perfect representation of that, right? Corey Sanhagen, this time last year, looks like he's on his way to fighting for the title again and ends up like had the fight against Piotr Jan for an interim title, but looked like he was, you know, to me, he, he beat TJ Dillashaw. I, I scored that fight for him. But now here he is on a two-fight slide facing a young up-and-comer that's looking to take his spot in the top five. And I don't think either of us would sit here and say Corey Sanhagen's a bad fighter. He's he's not – I mean, I think he's a world-class fighter. I think he's a legitimate title contender. And yet he could come out of this fight on a three-fight losing streak and be in one of those weird spots where it's like, now who the Christ does this guy fight? And how does he hold on to his spot in the top you know, he falls to number seven in the division a year after fighting for an interim title. That's what bantamweight is right now. It's absolutely bonkers. But most importantly, when we do the preview show for this one, how many dick jokes is Sean going to make? 15, 20? At least. I think the, <laughs> the over-under might be maybe, uh, over-under might be 20 to 25, maybe over-under 20. Over <laughs> yeah, he does love it. And it's good fun. Uh, and we've always had good fun on Twitter uh, watching Song Yudong. But it's definitely not going to be fun inside the cage when him and, and Corey Sandhagen uh, eventually square off. I think, you know, it's kind of what, it's an official bantamweight tournament, if you want to call it, where things right. are getting evened out right now. We've seen um, Marlon Vera get the win. We've seen uh, Philly get pick up a win over Jose Aldo. This is kind of a a chance for Song Yudong to come in here against a guy who has been a mainstay at the top of the 135-pound division for the last couple of years. 
Um, obviously, Corey Sandhagen is is looking to kind of get back in there and get him kind of set up with a title shot. Um, oh, he's going to have to get a win here, obviously enough. I think you know this is a good stylistic matchup for him, and it's a matchup that he'll be happy with coming based off the fact he's coming off two losses as well. He won't want to go three in a row. Now, the competition that he faced, TJ Dillashaw and Peter Yan. Both decision losses, there's no shame at all. But still, as a fighter, you don't want to be losing three fights right. in a row. I think it's a good stylistic matchup for him here. For for Song Yadong, you know, he can come in here and and this is the biggest fight of his career against probably his toughest opponent to date. Um, you know, a win here against Corey Sandhagen puts him right in the mix. Um, I know that Song Yadong, I believe, has a a draw with uh, Marlon Vera before. So, you know, yes, that's yeah. a win here could set up a, a very interesting fight between uh, uh, Vera. A win over uh, Marlon Vera. Just oh, a win. Oh, yeah, but, a, but a win over Marlon Vera. Yeah. Yeah. I just checked up there. Yeah. And I, I, I believe maybe a controversial one, but a win yes. nonetheless. It's down there. It's, one of uh, those fights where MMA Twitter decided that Marlon Vera had been screwed <laughs> yeah, because indeed. everybody on MMA Twitter loves Cheeto Vera. <laughs> absolutely absolutely but not look, that mma twitter ever plays favorites hey i know <laughs> I, I, when oh, i see most of those comments i'm like who did you put money down on and why are yeah. you so upset <laughs> yeah but why look, is it that you suddenly have so much involvement in this yeah indeed but look it's a chance for for cory sandhagen to get back uh, a win on the condors we're in a kind of a, a transitional phase in, in the 135-pound division right now. Obviously, TJ Dillashaw, uh, Aljamain Sterling is coming up. Um, there's going to be lots of chopping and changing, and it's going to be interesting to see where all of these fighters fit in. You know, right. Corey, Corey Sandhagen with a win here is not going to secure himself a title shot. Um, he he may even struggle to pull himself into contendership with a win here. He may have to right. win one, win one, and then maybe even look to be considered. Um, but that all depends on who the champion is because right. new champions bring new stories, bring kind of new meanings to fights. And, and there's going to be plenty of chops and changes. Obviously we'll talk about a few more of the fights. We got Jan and, and O'Malley coming up, you know, O'Malley could just sweep in there with a win over Peter Jan as well. So very, very interesting fight. And this one, you know what? It doesn't have maybe the amount of jeopardy that the other bantamweight fights have had, but it definitely does have some jeopardy coming in here, Yadong and uh, Sandhagen. So I'm excited to see that one go down. Well, and you mentioned that word, and, and I'll just sort of stick on it for a minute, and maybe we can have a conversation about it. And so I understand that it's a thing, and I know that that Sean and Graham talk about it a lot, and you guys talk about it a lot on the severe different the different severe podcasts. Go sign up for the Patreon. I tell you all the time. It's almost the start of September, which means you get the absolute most value. Here I am being Sean Sheehan himself. Start of the month is when you get the most value, but sign up anytime. It is absolutely worth the five quid. Just go and do it. Um, it doesn't necessarily have the most jeopardy or, or immediate divisional ramifications. It is not a fight that is going to put either of those guys, if all things being equal, into a championship fight. But for me, I don't necessarily need it to be the fight that puts somebody into a championship fight for it to have value, significance, importance. Because in that division, a fight like this where you're three or four fights back, and, and I do think that the winner of this would still need to win probably two more fights to fight for a title, depending on obviously depending on how the fight goes and how things shake out. 
but probably at least one, if not two more. But because that division is so good, all of these fights that are in that in that sort of group, to me, carry a great deal of weight and have to be treated almost as if they are number one contender fights because they are just like, this isn't a, you know, four versus 10 at light heavyweight. No disrespect to whoever is number four and number 10 at light heavyweight right now. But it doesn't have that same, you know, as Sean talks about all the time about, about the heavyweight division, right? We get number seven versus number eight, and it doesn't really mean anything because whoever wins is going to be number seven and whoever loses is going to be number eight, and they're not beating the guys in front of them. Either of these two guys can beat the guys in front of them. And even though this will be one of them is number four and one of them is number seven or number nine or whatever it is, those are different. Those That, that four and nine carries a very different weight than the four and nine in some of these other divisions. And I think we need to, for me, it's a thing I've always wanted to speak about and present in that way of like, look, it's, it may not be winner gets a title shot. So you're, you're hooked because number one contender, but this is a really important fight for both of these guys and the division as a whole. And so I get the jeopardy point you're making. Yeah. But sometimes there doesn't have to be that absolute top level. All the chips are down for it to still be a very significant fight. Absolutely. And it's like an audition for these guys. This is what it is. You go in there, you get an impressive win. You can skip the line. We've seen it before. Like, I mean, right. we could use an example of the two fights that we have seen recently in the Bantamweight division and, and, and that being Marlon Vera's impressive knockout victory over Dominic Cruz. And Dashvili's impressive win over Jose Aldo. I mean, it wasn't exciting, but you know what? Jose Aldo has been causing problems there. Um, but you know what? You win in fights like that, it's probably not going to get you into the mix, like knocking out Dominic Cruz with a head kick. So, I mean, it's up to these guys. You know, even if Corey Sandhagen was to come in here, you know, I think he's going to have to come in here with the opinion of trying to get Song Yudong out of there. You know, I don't even think he'd be happy about winning a decision over a guy like Song Yudong with no disrespect to Song Yudong, but you know, I'm just take, putting myself into the, into the yeah. top process of what Corey Sandhagen may be thinking here. And with Song Yudong, it's like, yeah, this guy has been at the top of the division for the last couple of years. He's come close. Um, he's competed with the very best. This is my chance to come in here and, and, and take his position and get a win over a really good guy and, and to progress and put myself into kind of the conversation, which he's not ever been in the division yet. So um, it's crazy to think, you know, we're, we're talking about a song, Yudong, who's still relatively young in his career as well. He's only 24 years of age, which is absolutely insane. So look at if he comes in here and he doesn't get the job done, well, that's not so bad. That's okay. He'll get a chance to do it again. Lots of times again. Um, but yeah, it's it, you know he's been on on quite the tear recently, and um, he's definitely one to look out for Song Yudong, and it'll be interesting to see how he does in goes in there and competes against a guy like Corey Sandhagen because, like I said before, that's the toughest fight of his career so far. Yep, first main event assignment, definitely a big fight. Um, talk to him as well. That'll come out somewhere closer to the fight. Um, very excited for this one. He's. He's very focused for 24. I, I laughed with him and said, like, at, 
at 16, I think he decided, or at 14, he decided this is what I want to do and started doing it. And I was like, at 16, I was arguing with my parents about, could I take the car? Like, yeah, it's a, different level, it's a different level of focus, man. It's a yeah. different level yep. of work that, that he's put in. He's young, young in age, but very experienced yes. with coming into his 26th fight <laughs> yes. of his career at 24. So um, it's crazy. Like the, you see a lot, a lot of these with the Chinese athletes that are coming into right. the UFC, getting that fight experience at a very young age, which is good in one way, but how much damage are you taking as well? You know, you can get pretty old pretty quickly inside right. that cage. Um, but but it, Song Yudong has been on it has been on an upward trajectory as well, gaining that experience, and this is going to help him one way or another. Even with the win, will give him the confidence and the belief that he can compete. Or a loss will kind of highlight some of the changes that he may need to make for future right. fights. So that gets us through September. We get the final Saturday of September off. So everybody make your plans. Let your families know that that September 24th is a day that you can, you know, make plans with friends. You can have a nice, quiet family dinner. You can go out for dinner. You can have a date night, whatever it is that you're not doing on all the other Saturdays where you're sitting and watching fights like myself and Ian and Harry and Sean, who are doing it in the middle of the morning, which is just ridiculous middle of the evening which is just ridiculous but for now september 24th is free and clear which push, pushes us ahead to october 1st and i will say as we dive into october and some of these cards that not all of these fights are official the lineups and the bout order that you see on wikipedia or tapology is not set in stone there is no reason to freak out about them in advance people make way too much out of why is this fight here just i i wrote about it earlier this year and we've had conversations about it on severe podcasts good fights are good fights whether they're first or last paris next weekend if nasruddin imavov and, and joaquin buckley are in fact the opening fight it doesn't diminish the quality of that fight so just look at the athletes involved appreciate the quality of that fight and wherever it lands is wherever it lands and we can get up in arms about it maybe when when things are locked in and solid. But we get to the October 1st fight at the UFC Apex in Enterprise, Nevada, officially. And as of right now, it's headlined by Mackenzie Dern and Yan Jonan, a fight that Sean and I talked about on the last State of the UFC as it related to a fight that will take place later in the month, Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos, as sort of the... This is one of those fights where we could get a number one contender determined because I kind of feel that if Mackenzie Dern goes out and has a dominant performance and gets another good win in a marquee opportunity, she's probably jumping the queue and getting in there as sort of maybe the fresh name against a the winner of the Carlos Esparza Zhang Weili fight, or at the very least, putting herself in that mix and in that conversation going forward. It's crazy to actually think that, you know, you're you're spot on on what you said there. And we were only two fights ago where Mackenzie Dern was beaten by Marina Rodriguez. But look, that's the sad reality of the situation or the happy reality of the situation if you're Mackenzie Dern here. <laughs> and she does go in and, and, and get the win over Yan Jainan. I think, you know... UFC are going to be looking at look at the, and you have to look at the overall broader picture of what the UFC looks at as well as who's going to be more marketable who kind of gets the tongues wagging more um, 
you know, Marina Rodriguez deserves her shot there after putting on a, a big run. She, like she has beaten both of these women in the past. Um, and yet, you know, they still have the opportunity to come in there and maybe I, w- I would probably, if, if Yan Jainan got the win, I don't feel that she would be propelled into right. title contention just yet. But I think Mackenzie Dern um, would certainly do that. Very marketable, um, you know, has been showing some good, good um, jumps in her level and game over the last couple of years. Good win against Tisha Torres in her last fight. This is another winnable fight for her too against Yan Jainan. Um, but yeah, I I think me and you will definitely be in agreement. Where personally, I would love to see Marina Rodriguez kind of get her her flowers, get her shot in the division. She deserves it, and hopefully, nothing steps in the way of that happening. But you never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never know what happens. She has a she has a tough fight. There is Jessica Andrade out there, who I think we all kind of as I said on, on Friday, maybe a little bit forget that she's back in the division. She was up flyweight. She challenged for gold there. She came back down, choked out Amanda Lamos in the first round. She's very much back in the mix, and it just feels, and, and Sean and I talked about it on the last state of the UFC, right? He said, I'm going to throw out a name, and I just want your reaction because it's somebody that I I don't necessarily think of. And he said, Marina Rodriguez, we were doing it on video, and he saw my reaction, and he just started laughing. Because she is, to me, the quintessential example of somebody that just, because she's not out there on social media, because she's not a loud presence, she doesn't get the recognition and the opportunities that she's merited inside the octagon. She's put forth the efforts. I would have loved to have seen her fight Carla Esparza in Carla's first title defense. Yes, Carla Esparza has a win over her. It's a split decision win. It was a super close fight and let's get the champions getting one or two more fights in before they get rolled right back into a championship opportunity. Like why Zhang Weili and, and look, it was a beautiful finish against Joanna Jędrzejczyk last time out. I get it. But do we need to go out there and, and put her in a championship fight right away when we've got several other fighters in the division primarily Marina Rodriguez, and to to a lesser extent, right, just behind her, Mackenzie Dern, if she wins this fight, waiting for those opportunities so that we don't get a situation like we had at welterweight where Leon Edwards has to wait three years to get a fight that he deserves. Uh, like, uh, and that's the thing. Uh, look at, I think the UFC are obviously trying to put push up for um, Zhang Weili to get back there. Um, into title contention and you know that's what we're going to see over there uh, against Carla Expar so that's what they want but whoever's going to be next in line could be decided by these couple of fights um, I feel you know it's all going to be down based off performance here similar enough to Tony Gravely but with a lot more stake on the line right. here is that you need to perform, you need to call your shot, you need to play your cards correctly to be even considered there because, you know, you have Rose Namajunas who's still there. You have other fighters that are coming up and along as well. Um, You know, but I feel, you know, if you get a win and if you're Marina Rodriguez, you'd be thinking five wins in a row should secure you there, but there's no guarantees up there, especially with that star power that Rose Namajunas back. That's all everybody wants to see, I guess, her and, and Zhang Weili again. But, I feel with Mackenzie Dern, 
the UFC have matched her well here against Yan Zhanen, and I think she does have the ability to go in there and get another win. And I think UFC are just looking for an excuse to put her into a title fight right now. Um, she's still young in her career. She's still young in age, and you know what? She can go in there. She can she can get the spotlight of a title fight. She can feel what it's like to be in there uh, against championship level opponents. And um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So we jump forward, August fifteenth, sticking at the UFC Apex, headlined right now by Jer- or not right now, headlined by Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland in a middleweight, sort of the the direct to DVD version, if you will of the Robert Whitaker Marvin Vittori fight that's happening in Paris this weekend. Sort of another, like, let's figure out where these guys actually fit outside of the championship picture in this division, where neither of them are going forward into a championship fight with a victory here, obviously. Jared Cannonier just fought for the title. But on this card specifically, the, the fights that jump out to me as sort of important to know that they're know that they're upcoming or get excited about that they're upcoming. First and foremost is Viviani Araujo against Alexa Grasso. It was supposed to take place uh, in San Diego on that fight card with, with Cheeto Vera and Dominic Cruz. Got canceled about a week out um, for visa issues. But this is another one of those fights that at flyweight in a division where Valentina Shevchenko has turned back everyone. And yep, the last one was was a little bit harder. The last one was a little more difficult than expected. We all expected a, an absolute you know, steamrolling didn't go that way. Tyler Santos came out and pushed her hard. We may get a rematch of that one, but I feel like based on who Shevchenko has already beaten the winner of this one, you can make a case. If either of these women go out and have a great performance, the winner of this could be the next in line for Valentina Shevchenko. And to me, that is always, as I said earlier, an interesting kind of hook to any fight. Of and and if it isn't the next fight, it's a number one contender fight next, and so a crucial fight that we were excited for just a couple of weeks ago in San Diego feels like it's fallen off the radar a little bit. And and I know people aren't necessarily looking six weeks out the way I am because I am a lunatic, but a great fight that that will be on the sort of circle it on your calendar in advance and get excited for. Yeah, I'm always excited to see Alexa Grasso in there. I think that she's been she's looking real good, picking up three wins in her last three fights um, and, and a real good win uh, over Joanne Wood in her last fight too. Um, you know, maybe not the same Joanne Wood that we've seen in the past, but still, that's a first-round submission win and that's a finish in the books and that's what people want to see and that's what the UFC want to see as well. Viviana Rajo, obviously, I think she took out a very... Uh, a very good fighter in Andrea Lee in her last fight. I thought, you know, Andrea Lee had been on a good run. She'd been looking decent as well. And, you know, Araju came in there as somewhat the underdog and kind of whipped that win away from Andrea Lee. So that's good. That was good for her. I would probably put Alexa Grasso a little bit more ahead in terms of what she needs to be achieve or what she can do in here and skill-wise and win-wise and getting into that title shot. Maybe Araju would probably have to do a little bit more. I think a simple win over Alexa Grasso, win two fights in a row, probably next one would be title contention one for her. But nonetheless, uh, we're seeing two up-and-coming talents that, that will be looking to challenge for the title here. 
Grasso still young at 29, Riviera Raggio as well is still um you know coming towards the end of her kind of career in 35 where it's make or break for her you know she cannot really afford to lose any fights so you know will she be using that for motivation will she be seeing this as her last kind of title run per se and uh, you know that's going to give her that extra little bit of bite coming into this fight as well but it'll be a very interesting match up here um i you know i i really like alexa grasso i feel that you know she's probably the better fighter of the two here and will I would likely at this far out say that she's probably going to get the win. That would make it four wins in a row. And and she, I think we're going to be looking at a person in Alexa Grasso that's probably going to fight for a title sometime in the next year or so. Yeah, perfect thus far since moving to flyweight. I think she, to me, feels like a fighter. And again, we'll talk about this all as we get closer, but a fighter that has just sort of figured things out, right? She She's taken the right step. She was fighting at 115 had some struggles making the weight, had some issues in terms of being able to compete there regularly and steadily and said, okay, I've got to go up, but I want to take my time. I want to do it the right way. I want to make sure that it's comfortable, but functional, but I can still be quick and nimble and all of those things. And it's just, you know, we get excited about prospects. It's all, it's always exciting, right? 21, 22, showing a bunch of promise, beat a couple good fighters that we know, have a couple good performances. But for the most part, we don't see those athletes get to the absolute top of the division or even get to the peak of their powers until sort of 27 through maybe 32. You know, as as I've talked about plenty of times in the past and mentioned on plenty of shows, until Yuri Prohoshka beat Glover Teixeira, every UFC champion was over 30 years old. And it'd been through some ups and downs and it had some Kamaru Usman at the time hadn't had any ups and downs, but it'd been through a whole bunch of fights in the UFC. And so as exciting as Alexa Grasso was in Invicta and as excited as we were for her arrival when she got to the UFC, this to me is where to really be excited about Alexa Grasso because she's 27 now. She's in the right weight class. She's had all the experience. She's built everything to where she knows who she is as a fighter. She knows what she can do and can't do in the octagon. And we've seen the best version of that over these last few fights. Very exciting. Yeah, and I agree with you as well. It's this stage of a fighter's career. Yeah, we see the prospect level. You move from prospect to contender. But then sometimes things just click or you, or you make one decision. And that's what Alexa Grasso did in, in deciding, you know, she needed to move up to the 125-pound division. And, you know, we see it time and time again with fighters, Spencer. They make that move and things things start to click. You have more energy. You're not wasting your time in your camp cutting down that extra bit right. of weight. You can focus on that skill acquisition, you know, and things are clicking for her right now. And it's going to be very exciting to see. Now it's it's a case of how far can she go? Right. How far can she go? And uh, the world is her oyster. She's got a good match up here. And she's got an exciting future, you know. Um, I, I'm excited to see that fight. More so to see, you know, can she kind of propel herself into title elimination status with a win? The other fight on this card, and again, penciled in for now because it is so far out that has me excited, is Brandon Royville and Askar Askarov. At flyweight, Askar Askarov suffered his first loss of the year in March against Kai Kara Franz, who goes on and, and fights for the interim title last month against, or earlier this month, 
against no last month end of end of July against Brandon Moreno. Uh, Brandon Royville is perpetually entertaining. He got a submission win over Matt Schnell earlier this year. His only losses in the UFC are to elite talents, and they are good fighters. One of them being Brandon Moreno in a fight where he dislocated his shoulder. So it's not really to me, not that it's not a loss, but it's one of those we didn't get to see the full fight play out the whole way it was going to be or could have possibly been. And so just another one of those fights. I know you love the flyweight division as much as I do. It's a top end of the line flyweight fight at a time when it's starting to get again, where, you know, it looks we're going to get Moreno and Figueredo part four. And then we've got some we've got some names that are close. Pantoja looked great in his debut. The winner of this is back in there. Matt Schnell's back in there because of his ridiculous fight with Sumer Darji earlier this year. Amir Albazi looked great last weekend. Like fly never die. And hashtag and this fly is, never die. Yeah, is this right. is just another great fight in that division that six weeks, seven weeks out, I'm already getting excited for it. Oh man, I I just get excited about any of the flyweight fights. I just love, love, love that division. I'm a smaller guy myself, you know what I mean. So I love the little guys. Um, look at the speed that shit can happen in the flyweight division. The skills that are on show, you know, probably the most well-rounded fighters that you'll see are in the flyweight division. They just maybe at times don't have that power that maybe the bigger guys have, and but that's okay. Right. But some people do in the division. Um, Askar Askarov will be coming into this fight with, with Roy Vell after a, a very disappointing loss against Kai Cara France. Um, I thought Kai Cara France fought an absolutely terrific fight against a guy like Askarov, and maybe that's what Askar Askarov needed. It, it was a little bit of a reality check. Um, you know, I was very high on Askar Askarov heading into that fight, I still am. You know, what sometimes it, as a fighter, you need that experience. You just need to realize that, yeah, sometimes some people are a little bit better on the night. Um, I feel that, you know, if Askar Askarov was to go in against Kai Kara France, he would have a pretty damn good chance of winning that fight again. Um, now it's it's down to him to kind of bounce back against a really tough guy in Brandon Royval as well, who himself has tasted a little bit of disappointment at right. the top of the division with losses to Brandon Moreno and losses to Alexandra Pantosha too. And me saying that he, they don't finish fights, uh, maybe not with power, but you know, the shoulder injury was unfortunate against Moreno. Pantosha got him out of there with a rear naked choke, but he returned the favor, got a good split decision win over Rodrigo Montoran. And then what is, does appear to be a really good win over Matt Schnell with a guillotine choke in round one as well. So Royval is as tricky as they come. Askar Askarov is really a grappler as well. So this could boil down to maybe them kind of being 50-50 status in the grappling where we could see these guys open up on the feet a little bit as we do right. with grapplers going against grapplers in the past. But I love the flyweight division. Give me a flyweight fight every day of the week. I don't care whether it's at the top, the middle, or the bottom of the right. division. These guys are the shit, and I'm so happy that the UFC didn't pull that division. We would arguably be in, I think, we're probably in a period of time right now where we're – definitely speaking about an overall talent-rich division in the flyweight division where it could be at generally the best condition that it's ever been in for a division, you know, because it was a little bit dead in the water. Um, whoever you want to point the finger at to, 
is is whoever you wanted to, whether it's UFC, whether it's Mighty Mouse. I think you can't fault Mighty Mouse for being so good at that time and <laughs> right. beating everybody. You can't blame that... somebody for being super talented and skilled. Yeah. As we know, saw a couple of nights ago, shouts to DJ. Oh, unbelievable. Win. Unbelievable. But look, look at, it has to be said, his exit from the division worked for him, worked for the UFC, and yeah. it seems to have worked for the flyweight division as a whole as well, because that division has just sparked into life over the last two years. And we're dealing with a very talent-rich division overall with lots of fighters and lots of stories to be told. And I, for one, am here for that. I love it. Also tentatively on that card, Tetsuro Taira making his second fight in the U- second appearance in the UFC. Hell of a prospect in the flyweight division. Absolutely. We move forward. Abu Dhabi, UFC 280, October 22nd at a hat arena. I mean, I need a minute as I as I scroll this card up on my desktop here and, and bring the fight card into full view. It's just, I mean, we were speaking about it off air that tentatively right now, in terms of all the fights that are penciled in, it is scheduled for 16 fights, the most in UFC history. And I, I would argue when I did the geek thing and laid them all out in terms of across divisions, I think I laid out 10 of the 16 as like fights that are important and of value and of interest to me um i mean we can just so bear with me folks because here's the lineup as it stands right now again not necessarily in this order but here's what's here's what's listed charles Oliveira, islam Mahashev for the lightweight title aljamain sterling tj dillashaw for the bantamweight title Piotr jan sean o'malley benil daryush matoish gamrot caitlin chukagian menel fioro belil belil Bilal Muhammad, why am I having problems this morning? Against Sean Brady. Mahmoud Muradov against Kyle Bahayo. Nikita Krilov versus Volkan Ozdemir. Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos, as we talked about earlier. Zubera Tukagov against Lucas Almeida. Jamie Malarkey against Magomed Mustafayev. Malcolm Gordon against Muhammad Mokhayev. Abubakar Magomedov against Gadzi Omar Gadziev. Armin Petrosian against AJ Dobson. Lena Landsberg against Carol Hosa and Parker Porter against Hamdi Abdel Wahabi. It's just an app and it's going to start. It's going to be breakfast and fist punch and, and fight face punching. Like I'm stumbling over my words because I'm so excited about this card. And there's so much on this card that we could unpack right now for the next like three hours. But like, it's just a fantastic card. And I understand why everybody's excited about it this far out. Oh, yeah. How could you not? And, you know, we were saying 16 fights on top would probably be the most <laughs> amount of fights on the modern day UFC card. Um, but like I'm all here for it. every single one of these fights. It's just that on paper, it's definitely the card of the year so far. Um, you know, you got the two title fights at the top, um, but you've also got some really interesting fights in in in. Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady, you know, a good test for both guys. They're right in the mix at 170. Peter Yan versus Sean O'Malley. My goodness. I mean, what a fight that is. It's like yeah, out of the frying pan into the fire for Sean O'Malley. Here you go, son. You've been asking for it. Let's do it. He's confident. Peter Yan is confident. It's going to be an intriguing striking battle uh, if, if Yan chooses to keep it that way. 
Benil Darush versus Mateus Gamra. Obviously, Mateus Gamra beat my guy, Armin Sharyukin, in his last fight. Credit to him, fantastic fighter. We said it. We were we were bigging those two guys up before, and that fight delivered as well um, from an entertainment point, perspective. And to prove that it was high, high level as well, that these guys are coming up our high level. And Mateus Gamra proved that against a guy like Sharyukin. He's coming in against Benil Darush, has had a really tough run of luck over the last couple of years. You know, he was right there in the mix. Injuries have kind of cost him. Fights falling out have cost him. But he's a chance to kind of propel himself back into contention with a win against Mateus Gamra, who can who can really propel himself with a win too. Um, Manon Ferro versus Caitlin Chukagan. That's a great fight. Talking about number one contenders there. Right. You know, Chukagan is right up there and has been and deservingly so. She keeps winning fights. She'll take on the next up, up and comer in the one hundred and twenty five right. pound division. And I believe uh, her words last time out were that French girl can get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to be a very intriguing fight. I I would expect that to play out on the feet. You know, a man in Firo has has showcased some good striking and, and powerful striking too. Uh, our guy Sao Baralio is on the undercard, another guy to be looking out for in the middleweight division. And of course, Mohamed Mahayev. Uh, comes back and looks to maintain right. his, his undefeated streak against uh, Canada's Malcolm Gordon too. Another tough test for Mohamed Mohayev, who won in his last fight. Would have been disappointed, I'd imagine, given from what I've known about Mohamed. He's very hard on himself, likes to go out there and finish fights. Um, and, you know, he was out there. He he, he got tested in his last fight against um, uh, Char- Charlie Johnson. Charles, Charles Johnson. Charles yeah. Johnson, yeah. And, um, you know, he'll be looking out to go out there and, and, and put on a professor. Uh, an impressive, I'm even stumbling my words now, I'm so excited, an impressive performance against Gordon. Man, you just stay looking down, there's more fights coming, Ostomir versus Krylov, this card is sick, man, it is yeah. absolutely sick. Amanda well, Lemos versus Marina Rodriguez, which she spoke about a little bit as well. Right. It's the card is just, this card is the gift that keeps on giving. That's what well, it is. And, and to what we spoke about sort of off the top and as the as the premise of this, this conversation and this sort of setup of of these two months. Yes, you have the championship fights, which are going to be phenomenal. And if we start talking about them, we will be here for days. And so we're going to set them aside. Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley could very well determine the next number one contender in that division, depending on what happens. Benil Daryush and Matoish Gamrot could very well determine the number one contender at lightweight, depending on some other fights and, and how the UFC decides to book things. Caitlin Chukagian and Menno Fioro, I think that's a, if one person wins, if Fioro wins, then then very much a number one contender. If Chukagian wins, I mean, maybe even if Chukagian wins, right? It's been enough wins that you have to, at some point, give her another shot. Maybe Shevchenko goes up to bantamweight and, and we see Chukagian fighting for a vacant belt or something like that. Regardless, very important. Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady isn't necessarily for the number one contender or next in line because we've got Hamza Tamayev, Nathan Diaz. And I, and I think we both agree that the winner of that probably has a, a better opportunity, but a super important fight, a super big test for Sean Brady coming up undefeated, getting a top five guy, huge fight and big props to Bilal for agreeing to fight backwards against an absolute monster in Sean Brady. Um, Kyle Bahio has looked great so far this year. He's in the rookie of the year race. We talked about Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. Like this is one of those cards that I hope everybody gets as excited for 
some of those bouts further down the line as they do those those championship fights because a bunch of these are going to have if not immediate next in line significance two fights away mm-hmm. significance and those are the things to me that I want I want to speak about a lot I hope more people pay attention to I hope people extract value from me talking about them as much as I do because it is you know it can't be more than two fights for the winner of Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady. Like there shouldn't be the next no. fight should be a number one contender fight, probably against Jeff Neal. Yeah. And then, and then one of those guys is fighting for the title. So like this time next year, one of those two men could very well be fighting for the welterweight title. Now, of course, all kinds of different stuff can happen. Timelines, injuries, whatever, whatever. But in this moment, that's the significance of this fight. And so whether you see them as in that position or not, it doesn't mean they can't get there. Like if two years ago, I told you Bilal Muhammad was going to be a top five fighter in the welterweight division, you'd have said, ah, I hope that happens. I like Bilal. He's a good dude, great personality, but I just can't see it. He's gone out and made it happen. And so don't just dismiss these as not going to be important, similar to the the Dariush Gamrot fight. To me, winner of that one's not far off. I don't necessarily want to see the old names, the veteran names sort of cycled back into that championship mix, in part because if Charles Oliveira beats Islam Mahashev, he's already beaten all of them. So give me the guys that he hasn't beaten. But even if it is Islam, I don't need to see Islam fight Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier or Michael Chandler. Give me the new guys. Give me the guys that get opportunities. And so these are all fights that that carry significance, even if it's not immediate. Absolutely. Like, look at I feel with Mateus Gamra, if he comes in here and 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 if he takes out Benil Larouche, you're probably looking at him fighting once more and then for a title. Uh, with Darush, it's probably in the same boat as well. And, you know, it's unfortunate the way things have happened. He's been overtaken, not through any fault of his own, but it's that horrible injury. He was supposed to be taking on, I believe, Tony Ferguson at the time of that injury, um, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, and that would have been a very winnable fight for him too. No, was this not Mahashev? Oh, Mahashev. What's happening? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that's the fight he's going to be looking towards as well. Um, yeah. You know, and... That would have defined who was the number one contender. Look what happened now. Mahachev is there. He's fighting for the title. So you know he was also there. supposed to have a fight with Charles Oliveira back in the day. As so well. no matter what happens, if he gets a win, but you know, one hundred percent. And I mean, one of us should probably text him and be like, "Hey, man, just a heads up. This is what you need to do if you beat Matoyish Gamrot. Is get out there and just be like, I've signed contracts to fight both of the guys fighting for the belt later tonight." So whoever wins, I've already signed the contract to fight whoever that is. I'm not waiting around. There's no fucking about. I'm next. Now, 100%. Polite, 100%. Sweet and nice of a man to say those exact words. But that's what he should do. I would just bring both of those contracts with me. Be like, <laughs> I've signed up to fight each of them. Get a little WWE in here. I've signed 100%. up to fight each of them. I'm signing them again. I want the winner. I will not be denied. 
bring it out in the money in the bank uh, suitcase, whip it out there after after he gets the win, if he does against Gamrot. But, you know, that's not going to be an easy fight for Darush, as is not going to be an easy fight for Gamrot either. So it's interesting. If I may touch on the two top fights for a second. Of course. Um, Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. Um, My goodness. I mean, this is going to be interesting to see how Aljamain Sterling kind of matches up against the former champ Dillashaw. Obviously got the title stripped for, for the Asada trouble. Um, you know, as a guy, I'm not quite convinced on Aljamain Sterling just yet. And why am I not? Because he performed an absolutely tremendously against Peter Yan. But for some reason, I don't know. Yeah. I was more leaning on Peter Yan, maybe having a little bit of an off night that night, more more so kind of mixed with Aljamain Sterling, Sterling having one of the best performances of his career, but cannot be snuffed at, you know, him winning that fight against the guy who was who was really beating up guys in the bantamweight division, but he's going to have a tough test against Dillashaw here, who will be coming in here confident um, of taking back his title. But this is a real proven one for Aljamain Sterling because I feel all that doubt will go out in my mind if he comes in here and beats someone like Dillashaw. Um, can he outgrapple him the way he outgrappled Peter Yan? I feel that TJ might be a little bit stronger and be more difficult to kind of dominate in the grappling department, but... I also thought Peter Yan was going to probably be a little bit too strong for Aljamain Sterling too. So he gets something out of proving people wrong. We know that uh, Sarah Longo and Ray Longo, um, you know, Matt, and I know know Matt isn't really there with him anymore. So I'll just say Ray Longo can put together a good game plan. We did see that against Peter Yan. So it'll be all up to what kind of a game plan they can put in against TJ Dillashaw here. Um, with the main event, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makachev. This is it for me. This is the fight. <laughs> me too. This is the fight that I just cannot wait to see. Um, my early thoughts on this is, you know, even at this stage, and it's just been the story of Charles Oliveira's resurgence and, and his journey to get to the lightweight title, winning the lightweight title, and defending the lightweight title has been one of the question of doubt that has always hung over his name. And here we are, he's in there with another guy that has us doubting again in Islam right. Mahachev, and rightly so, because Mahachev is a killer too. But these two guys are the absolute best guys in the division right now, in a shit-hot lightweight division. Um, I feel, you know, Charles Oliveira is coming in there with a point to prove yet with a chip on his shoulder, given how successful he has been in recent years and how devastating he has been as well. And Mahatjep is oozing that confidence coming in here. Um, will, is it overconfidence? We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We are going to find out. But this is one of the fights of the year on paper for me already. Based off skill alone, based off the story, and just based off what these two guys have been doing to their opposition in the lightweight division. And we get to this point over on Fight Island where we're going to find out the answers to all of those questions. And I cannot wait. This is a fight that I'm going to be losing sleep on before, wondering what's going to happen. I'm probably going to change my mind around five or ten times. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I've I already probably changed my mind on who's going to win this fight three times already. And we're still two months out from the fight. So it's going to over and back and over and back. Look, I, 
I, I, I don't even want to give my prediction right now, but yeah, right no, now, I mean, if I have to say, I'm leaning towards, I think, I don't know, for some, maybe it's the Leon Edwards effect, but I'm leaning towards Charles Oliveira to go in there and get the job done. Because I think the narrative going into this fight is that, you know, it's going to be Islam looking to come in here and to kind of pick up from where Habib left off, right. get the title there, get the title back over with that team. You know, that's been the greater plan all along. That's what that's what Habib said when he retired. He said he wanted to get, guide Islam Mahachev into that position to be the champion. He's definitely good enough to be the champion, but you have to be good enough on the night. And especially when you're going in there against someone like Charles Oliveira as well. I'm wondering the early stages of that fight are going to be very interesting if Charles can keep the fight standing and land his shots because we had Justin Gaethje come out here this week who's been hit with everything but the kitchen sink throughout his career said that he never experienced anything like the power of Charles Oliveira and I think those words are something that we have to kind of take heed to because we can come in and we can talk about well here's a guy who's been in there with someone like Charles Oliveira and you can exactly describe how hard he does hit and well, and we've been in and, there with everybody else. Yeah, too, and when right? that guy is Justin Gaethje, who like yeah. does not get hurt and loves getting hit, he has said been that, in there with with power hitters like Dustin Poirier, like Michael Chandler, like Tony Ferguson, like Eddie Alvarez, and then says, "This is the dude that that I wasn't prepared for." It's crazy. That's the intrigue that's coming in here. But I can't wait. To, I I really can't wait for that fight. I can't wait for the build up. I can't wait to really get technical and break it down closer to it but it's the perfect fight to be at the top of this card because you right. needed a fight like this with the undercard that you have and even Aljamain Sterling and, and, and TJ Dillashaw is a fantastic fight in the bantamweight division as well but for me it's all about Charles Olivier and Islam Mahachev that's you know we're talking we've been talking about all the fights over the last or coming up over the next two months this is the one for me this, that I mean this is the one that's been circled for for many months since the day it was announced one of those October 29th we round out the month um we get the hangover card back at the apex and it's 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 a pretty okay card like on paper it's okay We've got Edson Barbosa and Ilya Teporia, which is just absolutely phenomenal. We've got Dustin Jacoby and Khalil Roundtree Jr., which is one of those interesting fights to me and maybe me only. And we've got your guy, Drakkar Close, getting his wish, apparently, to face Marco Madsen. I mean, this is another one of those ones where, like, I feel like Barbosa and Tapuria is going to just kind of slide under the radar. I feel like Tapuria has lost a little bit of his momentum that he had going into the first show in London where he had the heat with Patty Pimblett. He got a very good win, but he's now been sort of under the radar and off the radar really since then. This feels like a, a, a chance to sort of close out his 2022 with a reminder of, by the way, I'm 24 and just smashed Edson Barbosa yeah. to remain undefeated. Time to get I'm back on the horse for yeah. One, time yeah. to get back on the horse for Ilya Teporia here. Look at that heat came with Paddy Plimbit. He pushed for that fight. You know, uh, he pushed for that fight because he's probably pretty confident that he would take home the win. But I mean, right. I felt for him he probably wasted a little bit too much energy on a fight that realistically was never going to happen. Maybe down the line, maybe, maybe. But I feel that the trajectory of Ilya Teporia's career and Paddy Pimblets will be quite different when their overall arch is completed um like you said this is the perfect opportunity a main event over five rounds against a, 
a, a well-known guy in Edson Barbosa, a fan favorite, a guy who's always in exciting fights. And like you said, Affiliate Teporia can come in here and get someone like Edson Barbosa out of there. Well, then he come he jumps right back into kind of the conversation. He reminds people, and he's be, he'll be looking at top five level competition after that. And you know, this is kind of a fight to platform him into that top five level contention, and it will kind of it will set it's the kind of starters to the kind of main course if you want to say that in the yeah. in the in the featherweight division where you know he goes in there he'll get that chance to fight Barbosa get a good win and then it's going to be like you're not going to be getting too much easier opposition after that not saying that Edson Barbosa is easy opposition right. but this is what the fight they're trying to set him up there to propel him up to fight the elites of the elites in the featherweight division. But um, I'm excited, as I am always, to watch a guy like Ilya Teporia fight a really exciting young talent. And, um, you know, Edson Barbosa, he lost his last fight, but, you know what I mean, bad stylistic matchup. This may be a little bit better of a stylistic matchup if Ilya Teporia chooses to stand and bang because Teporia has also some some great grappling skills right. as well, a very well-rounded fighter. So... Um, it's a good litmus test. You know, we like to use that word and it's For an sure. excellent choice of words. It's a good litmus test to see, all right, is he ready to kind of take that next step? Can he get over Edson Barbosa? You know, going out there, getting a win against our Edson Barbosa is impressive. Getting a finish is a statement. And it may not be the main event. I wouldn't be surprised if it actually ends up being the co-main event. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're far enough out right now. We're We're still exactly two months away that I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC bolted a, a bigger fight on top of this. Edson Barbosa is coming in on two straight losses, so maybe a little difficult I just to see, sell. I got I kind of fooled myself when I, I looked at, uh, I thought I saw five fives, and I and I kind of figured that it would be the main event, but yeah, not in this session. But it feels like at the absolute worst, it's the co-main event for the exact reasons you said. This is, this is platforming Ilya Tapuria to showcase that this is another member of that young group that includes Mavsari Vloyev, that includes Arnold Allen, that includes Bryce Mitchell, who beat Edson Barbosa last time out. That is moving forward in the featherweight division. A huge fight, a big fight. In in to close out sort of two months of, of big important fights that maybe aren't necessarily the biggest, most important, but are very pivotal, very pivotal in these divisions and, and sort of just wraps up a, a conversation here this morning about these next two months. Obviously we stumbled over our words at different points because we're so excited, but it's just to sort of set the table. This is something I'd like to do as we get opportunities on sort of weekends that are free. So probably that one at the end of September, we'll do a little wrap. We'll do a little look forward to, to what's coming up in October. I think it's important to always sort of set the table and give people a little bit of a heads up of, it can get, because things can get so hectic, both in terms of our fandom and watching fights, just life in general, right? The world is hectic. Life is hectic. For me, I want to give people as many opportunities as I can to remind them of stuff that's coming up that I think is cool, that I think they will enjoy, that I think you, they should pay attention to, or you should pay attention to, or whoever should pay attention to. And so I appreciate you being on this with me this morning to, to take part in the first of these the first of what will surely be many of these and to share sort of your excitement as well. Cause yeah, it's good. We, I mean, like you said, we 
Gen- if we had the opportunity to do this more, I, I think we would, but we right. simply don't. It's like you said, it's a hectic schedule. You're talking about fight cards week upon week upon week where, you know, you just have to, uh, in the role that we're doing, you just have to shine the spotlight on what's next. And I think there was a beautiful, it just worked out so beautifully this week, given off what happened last week with Leon Edwards, that we had that little extra week to digest that great moment that we witnessed and then furthermore, we get to go on today and thanks so much for having me on to kind of talk about what's going to happen over the next two months as well, because we don't always have the time to do that. And it's hard to kind of think too far ahead. We we can we, we kind of have conditioned ourselves to have tunnel vision, have the blinkers on to what's happening next week. But it was great to have the opportunity to kind of come on and talk about what we're going to have to look forward to over the next two months. And there's plenty of stuff to look forward to. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it next week and, and we'll start off the heavy analysis for our UFC Paris card on the, on the breakdown show, on the preview show this week. So um, I, I'm looking forward to that as I'm looking forward to all the upcoming events uh, over the next couple of months as well. So before we get out of here, as we always do, let people know where they can follow you, what you've got coming in these next couple of days, in these next couple of weeks, any interviews you've got already penciled in that you can tease out and just how they can get all of the Ian O'Neill in their life because they need all of the Ian O'Neill in their life. Well, you can find me over on Twitter at MMA on Instagram, the same. All my work will be on severemma.com. Uh, it's a severe MMA YouTube channel of interviews with uh, Irish fighters, UFC fighters, everyone and anyone. I, I just love getting the chance to talk to fighters. Um, I host another show called The Owl Triangle, Irish MMA only podcast. We just focus on the Irish scene. And also the UFC preview show, which some of you probably may be aware of already. Uh, Spencer joins me. Harry joins me. Sean joins up too um, with us. And, you know, I absolutely love doing that show. Uh, we'll do that each and every week. We'll do that for each and every UFC card. It can be found over on the Severe MMA YouTube channel or up on SevereMMA.com. Basically, can be also be found on the Spencer Kite YouTube channel because I'm always cross-promoting. Absolutely, Kikibor, Kimura, everything like that. We're we're doing what the we're we, Bellator always up in arms. We're no cross promotion. We're That's not right. to cross promote here. We'll cross promote the ship. It's all about supporting each other. We're all on this journey together. Um, you know, I love I love talking fights. Um, it's always been my passion, and you know what? I, I count my lucky stars getting the opportunity to come on here and speak with the likes of yourself, and you know the way we all join forces to talk the UFC on the preview show. Uh, I just really love doing this and I just, uh, you know, we're looking forward to what's happening in the octagon over the next two months. I can't wait also to break it down and to share the journey with you guys as well (laughs) over the next two months, because there's going to be plenty and plenty of talking points and I'm glad to be along for the ride. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's nice to be able to do this on, as you said, sort of having an an off week. There's no pressure to hustle in and, and set up sort of what just happened and and the fallout of it. It's nice to sit back, take a kind of wider angle look at what's coming down the pipe. Appreciate it. As, as Ian said, go follow him at I O'Neill MMA on Twitter and Instagram. He does great work. You can find, as I said, the severe preview show is on the YouTube channel because I'm on there every week, which I love. I won't be, there'll be a couple of weeks here where I won't be because I will be away and I can take a little time to actually take a vacation uh, but no I'll tell you more no about holidays that. Allowed. No holidays allowed in this game, Spencer. Come on, man. <laughs> I'll tell you more <laughs> yep. about that in the week ahead. As always, you can follow me at Spencer Kite on Twitter and Instagram. 
check out the YouTube channel. If you're watching the video now, you are. Thank you. Appreciate you for it. Check out the audio feed on the Substack page, spencerkite.substack.com. That's it for us. It's Sunday. Go enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I hope you have good weather where you are. If you don't, I hope you have good company and good food and good times. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for all the comments, all the support, both here and on Severe MMA. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And we'll talk to you again soon.